0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Can the amplified voice of Ella Fitzgerald shatter this glass? Believe it. Ella Fitzgerald on Memorex cassette tape with MRX2 oxide. Can Memorex shatter the glass? Now we ask, is it live or is it Memorex? Well, Mr. Mellon, thank you for dredging that up from the 1960s archives. Back in the day, that was kind of a famous buzzword. Is it live or is it Memorex? We thought that might be a good place to start because many of you were probably wondering whether today's show would be live or, as it were, Memorex. And by the way, it's a little known fact that we at Radio Parallax are ourselves capable of shattering glass. Although, actually, it's Mr. McMillan's able to do it, and not with his voice, but through his stare. Yeah, if that doesn't work, I use a brick. All right. We have to confess to being a little bit down in the mouth of late at trying to do a radio program that's dealing with things going on in the world, because frankly, so many things going on in the world right now are just grim. And I sort of thought that one solution to this might be to go to our archives, as it were, and the many files that have been amassed over the last couple of decades for the purpose of talking about stuff on Radio Parallax. But again and again, looking at stories we've been covering, and in many cases covering for uh, 20 straight years, I'm, I'm looking for uh, the light at the end of the tunnel and sometimes not finding it. You know, case in point, I'm looking right down at some of the stuff we've amassed, and uh, we often do obituaries on this program. We feel it's uh, right and proper to talk about lies that are notable uh, when they've ended. And I'm looking down at uh, the Unabomber right now, Ted Kaczynski, who passed away last year. And uh, no, I don't consider the passing of uh the crazy Unabomber to be anything, you know, like a tragedy, but looking at this crazy guy's picture, this guy that used to, uh, you know, compose these manifestos in a cabin out in the middle of the woods somewhere, sometimes stop and wonder, uh, how much like that are we at Radio Parallax, Mr. McMillan, just kind of complaining about things and going off and telling the world how it ought to be. In case any feds are listening, speak for yourself. Well, thanks a lot. No, I don't think it's fair necessarily to compare us to, you know, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, because unlike the Harvard-educated math prodigy-turned-manifesto editor, we here at Radio Parallax know how to tell a joke. And frankly, that gives us an idea for a future installment of Ted Kaczynski, stand-up comedian, but we haven't worked that one out quite yet. Anyway, I can assure you, ladies and gentlemen, that we have quite a lot of material that we'd like to blow through today and and probably in the next couple of weeks because by cutting the cord to current events we just can go digging into the archives and have all kinds of things to talk about and we should but since at this exact moment we're not sure where the hell to go i think what i'm going to do is jump at this point into the good the bad and the ugly Anyway, keeping us for the moment at least anchored in the present time, we would note that it was a good week a couple weeks back for adaptation. With the news that Texas's first waterless water park opened in drought-hit Katy, Texas some weeks back, the manager of the slide-filled Slick City said, a lot of us grew up going to the water park. This is indoors without the sun and without the water. It's, it's just a different concept. You know, I think there's some potential there. I remember at Playland at the Beach in San Francisco, which was torn down quite a long time ago, they used to have a a giant slide, a wooden slide, that you you slid down on pieces of burlap. It was a lot of fun. It was, on the other hand, a bad week recently for optimists after a new study found that the sunny disposition of optimists is often accompanied by bad memory, also impaired verbal fluency, and poor decision-making skills. Optimus, the study declares, may be a side product of the true driver, low cognitive ability. Well, I'll say this, nobody ever said that about Ted Kaczynski. Of course, the sad thing is they they may not have said it about us either. So we are, before this hour is through, going to make an effort to try and dig up some things that kind of give us a little more of a a cheery outlook, to which I'm afraid I can't help but add, but it won't be easy. And it was an ugly beat recently for decorum with the news that a Democratic aide was fired for allegedly filming a gay sex tape in a Senate hearing room and afterwards noted that he was considering his legal options. Said Aidan Maize-Zarovsky, age 24, this has been a difficult time for me and I've been attacked for who I love. To which we have to pause and add no, no, Mr. Maese Sarovsky, that is not why you're being attacked. (laughs) And finally, we'd have to say that we would consider it both a bad and frankly ugly week for the Mattel toy company recently with the news that Mattel says it's discussing options after it received complaints about the new indigenous Barbie doll modeled on the late Wilma Mankiller, the first woman chief of the Cherokee Nation. The current Cherokee chief, Chuck Hoskin Jr., has been quoted saying that while aspects of the doll are thoughtful, a Cherokee syllabary on its package reads, Chicken Nation, not Cherokee Nation. Said Chief Hoskin, It's very disappointing. It would not have taken much effort or thought to avoid that. And frankly, we have to agree. Well, we can say this. At least Mattel didn't try and argue that the Cherokee Nation was finger licking good. So proud to live. So proud to die. All right, let's take a dive into the past. In fact, let's take a dive into a Discover Magazine special edition from the year 2000. We had just started doing radio at that point in time and set, uh, set the piece away for future use. Well, it did... Taken 24 years to get there, but here we are. Of course, I I should point out that the article is about things that won't change, things that you'll need to know, and things that will be obsolete over the next 20 years. So we have the benefit now of hindsight to evaluate these statements about the next 20 years, because the next 20 years are now in the rearview mirror. So it does commence this investigation with our evaluating those things that they thought would be obsolete in the next couple of decades. Discover thought that writing your signature on a legal document will be considered quaint because of the ubiquitous biometric IDs, including iris, fingerprint, and voice recognition systems. In effect, you'll become your own irreproducible ID. Well, while that is true to some degree, if we're going to evaluate these things as a hit or a miss, I'm going to call that one a miss. Thank God. How about this one? Wires on headphones, even for the cheapest portable stereo devices, will be gone because low-cost radio links will supplant them. Well, I'm going to call that one a miss. Yeah, we have, uh, we have Bluetooth working for us and against us, but, uh, you know, wires have not gone out of style. This one has a second part to it, Shades of Dick Tracy. Discover said it will also be hard to find anyone who holds a cell phone to his ear because it will be much more convenient to put the guts of the phone on a wrist or waist and have it wirelessly link to a small earpiece and microphone. Anyway, I kind of wish we had the Dick Tracy two-way wrist radio or television working for us, but uh, I see people with a phone to their ear, and even worse, looking down at their phone, just all too damned often. Here's one that makes me laugh. Junk mail will no longer show up. Advertisers will print their messages in your home or office using your online connection without troubling themselves with postage and printing costs. Well, thank God that we have not seen advertisers hijacking our printers to print up ads for themselves. Because here's the ominous part. They say, you won't call it junk mail because advertisers will know so much about you from monitoring your purchase patterns and online behaviors that advertisers will be for items you probably will want to buy anyway. And that one disturbs me because, wow, truth in that. I guess we'll call that second part a hit. But alas, I see before me a whole array of of misses in what Discover thought uh, will become obsolete in the next 20 years, starting in the year 2000. For example, baldness treatments, they thought, will thin dramatically as dermatologists learn how to make scalp tissue grow hair follicles. Anti-grain formulas will also fade away as gene therapies restore melanin pigments to older scalps. Well, I'm sorry they missed on that one. Here's one that really is utopian. Discover said that these days, writing in the year 2000, more than 600,000 coronary bypass procedures are performed annually. But such painful and debilitating surgery will be passé when cardiologists begin to use their genetic arsenal to grow new blood vessels in place of those that are blocked. Well, I have to say that's a damn good idea, but I don't even see it on the horizon. Maybe it'll come about in the next 20 years. Here's another item that has not taken place in the last 20, but I hope may come about in the next 20, which is that diabetics will finally be able to say goodbye to insulin injections. The better alternative, doctors will routinely implant healthy islet of Langerhans cells into the pancreas. Well, that would be a better alternative, but I don't see that one showing up anytime soon. Or they could try apple cider vinegar. Oh, stop. And here's another one that's that's quite utopian. Discover opined that immunosuppressants to prevent rejection of transplanted organs won't be needed in a world where doctors grow new organs from patients' own tissues, if only. And here's another disappointing myth. Discover said that plastic wrap and many plastic utensils will be found only in landfills. Replacing plastics will be an entire family of biopolymers made from cornstarch. They noted that some are already available but are still too costly compared to compounds made from temporarily cheap petrochemicals. Well, in the grand scheme of things, petrochemicals are still relatively cheap when you manage to skate away from all their hidden costs, which the oil companies, frankly, have been able to do. All right, here's one that's a partial hit. Discover said that internal combustion engines won't be found on any sales lots because cars and trucks will be powered by battery-driven electric motors, hybrid gas electric engines, or gas fuel cell engines. Well, let's call that one a partial hit. And we'll complete this list of supposedly obsolete things with one that is, is quite a miss. Said Discover, cooling towers on industrial buildings will be eliminated because they throw off too much waste heat. They'll be replaced by natural gas-powered absorption chillers, similar to technology found on old gas refrigerators. Radiated energy will be recaptured to warm water and generate electricity. Gotta say, I haven't seen much evidence of that. Anyway, I don't think so. All right, let's take a look at things that won't change, according to the magazine, over the next 20 years. And here's one I like, but then again, this was, I think, uh, doing a bit of cherry-picking. Discover said that pencils would not change over the next 20 years, and by God, they haven't. Wish we could say the same for books. Magazine said that Nicholas Negroponte, director of MIT's Media Lab, has predicted that books will soon evolve into bound volumes of paper-like, rewritable leaves. Some books may go this route. Labs worldwide are laboring on paper-mimicking interfaces, but traditional books have 500 years of inertia behind them, and no wonder. They're stable, cheap, durable, lightweight, and a hassle to pirate. These are virtues that any e-book will be hard-pressed to emulate in a mere 20 years. Discover said in the year 2000 that cash would stick around for the next couple decades. They said that despite frequent predictions that microchip-bearing smart cards will soon replace cash, hard currency remains popular and will remain so. Well, yes and no. Big Tech, which likes to keep track of every transaction that you make, is, is hard at work trying to get us to convert. Away from cash. And they've had a fair amount of success in this endeavor. I like how discover some summarized part of it. Money talks, but in the form of cash, it can also keep quiet. And that's an appeal that's unlikely to wane. It certainly appeals to me. And and I said quite a bit about it in the, the manifesto that I composed in my cabin. Kidding. <laughs> Here's one I like: zippers. <laughs> The magazine noted that by the year 2000, Robert Heinlein predicted we'd fasten clothing with polarity-reversing clasps, but electromagnets, they noted, are too unreliable for the task of hiding flesh from public view. Only an interlocking chain of clasps, preferably of steel, will do. The zipper, in development since 1851, will suffer no pretenders. What about Velcro? Yeah, Velcro's good, but it hasn't replaced the zipper. No, it has not. And you know, come to think of it, those two clasping methods do have conflicting sound effects. And if I had to judge, although frankly nobody's asked me to do so, I would say that the sound of an unzipping zipper is more pleasing than an unzipping Velcro fly. Yeah, but we really do like what ZZ Top did with it. And here's an item that's a little disturbing. <clears throat> Discover thought that shopping would not change, noting that despite the inevitable e-commerce onslaught, real stores that people can walk through will definitely still be around. And that they quoted a futurist saying, it's just something that lots of people like to do and that won't change. Well, that, that's true to a point. But when you see advertising's happening to resort to in-store shopping available, you have to realize that we have moved away from... Uh, brick and mortar stores, or in some cases they moved away from us. I used to have a Barnes and Noble a mile from my house, and now I have to go 18 miles if I want to buy books in a real store. And in closing, I have to note one thing I'm sorry to say that uh, Discover got wrong about things that will not change in the next 20 years was Dick Clark. They said at 90, he'll no doubt look younger than ever. And in case you missed it, we're sad to report that the former host of American Bandstand uh, did pass away. All right, continuing our Discover Magazine trifecta from our extensive archives, Amassed for Radio Parallax. We'll take a look at what they thought were things you'll need to know in 20 years that you don't know now. Said Discover, by the year 2020, you will have to learn to drive a more automated car. You'll get behind the wheel of a smart car that avoids fender benders by braking before you even see danger looming. At a much later date, you will slip into bucket seats as if at the movies, snacks, reading material, and sodas at the ready, sit back, relax, program the car, and over the freeways to grandmother's house, you'll go. Well, yes, except when you drive into the back of a semi. We've covered some of the mishaps taking place in San Francisco, which seems to be ground zero for uh, the driverless car. And since its proponents hate, hate, When you call it a driverless car, we make a point to do so at every opportunity available. Yeah, yeah, they're they're autonomous vehicles, all right, but they're also cars without a driver. In fact, our LA correspondent, Donald Rose, recently was complaining just a couple days ago about a video somebody posted of uh, a guy that basically, I think it was a Tesla, I'm not sure. He gets in his car that can be programmed to drive you to grandmother's house and then filmed himself climbing into the back seat to let the car do the driving. Now, as far as we know, Tesla does not recommend that you do this. And Lord knows, you should not. But, sad to note, we're going to see more of it in the future. And here's one that sends a bit of a chill up our spine. Discover noted that even in 2020, you will always need to know if the facts you've dredged up are accurate and truthful. With so many sources doling out information, you will need to know What is he selling and why is he selling it? Well, we've known on this program uh, since we onset that fact-checking is really a good idea. 20 years ago, Discover was predicting that we're moving closer to Orwell's nightmare, where the truth is ceaselessly modified, altered, edited, or altogether obliterated. Here today, gone tomorrow, with nothing but a bewildering error 404 file not found left in its place. By the way, the magazine does not inform us as to how it is we're going to need to know if the facts that we've dredged up are accurate and truthful. But I guess that's why we have radio parallax. Here's a long one. Discover noted in the year 2000 that in the year 2020, you'll identify yourself, gain access to homes and businesses and board aircraft after a laser has measured the shape of your irises. But the price will be a loss of privacy a record of your transactions, your daily comings and goings will be just a keyboard tap away from others. They noted 24 years ago that booting up your home PC has already become a public act. Meander on the web today, and today is the year 2000, and almost every move you make is cataloged in service to the gods of commerce. They know what you're buying, what you listen to, where you chat. Boy, did they nail that one. Finally, they note that by 2020, you'll need to know how to clean up that electronic trail day in and day out. Right. The magazine quoted Jaron Lanier, computer scientist, as saying, say you're searching for information on hats. And you saw a link about hats, but when you got to it, it was actually a weird pornography site about hat fetishes. Then it turns out there's a record that you visited this site, and now you're getting bombarded with offers from people with hat fetishes. Furthermore, your friends are being contacted in case they have hat fetishes. All of a sudden, you're in hat fetish prison in your social circle, and you have to go and undo it. Lanier said, to throw the hounds off your scent, you could spend the afternoon downloading the great books or posing as a do-gooder in search of charities deserving of your drachmas, be wielding electronics for the same reason medieval crusaders took up the sword and lance, to ward off intruders rooting out destructive viruses and spam in your equipment will become old hat. Well, I'd have to say not as old hat, pornographic or otherwise, as it should be. Here's an addendum for this piece I find particularly worrisome. Note to discover, tomorrow's Ted Kaczynski's will be able to concoct harmful viruses and insinuate them into your food supply or perhaps release pathogens in public places. You'll need to be ready for them. Oh, sure. We'll be we'll be ready. We'll just contact our friends at Fort Detrick, Maryland and the Center for Disease Control to see if we can keep that under wraps. Yikes. A lot has changed in 20 years, and uh, a lot hopefully will change in the next 20 years, would be our summary of what we just read. And we're just going to try to not dwell on some of the scarier stuff. All right, let's continue our look back. In this case, not 20 years into the past, but well, more like a year and a half. And this I refer to a book I bought about a year and a half ago, and uh, never got around to reading till a few days ago. And, and I must say I laughed harder reading this than I than I have in a long time. The book is "Profiles in Ignorance" by Andy Borowitz, with the subtitle "How America's Politicians Got Dumb and Dumber." And I'd like to quote a few of the choice items from this. Very amusing book. Now, unlike Dave Barry, whom we quoted extensively on the last show, we do not have the permission directly from the lips of the author to quote from him. And by odd coincidence, I did chance to meet Andy Borowitz once. I was in New York City, and he was hosting the Leonard Lopate Show. One of the producers of the program was Stephen Valentino, formerly the general manager of KDVS in Davis. After he was done taping the show, I I did manage to get a few words in with him. Uh, By that, I mean Andy Borowitz. Stephen Valentino was a perennially easy get, being my sister's son. Anyway, I had a couple of mildly amusing stories to share with Borowitz about, well, I don't really remember about what. And gauging by his reaction, Borowitz didn't find them very memorable either. I thought at the time he did sell me a little bit short, but since I can't remember the details, I'll have to give him a pass. We have, uh, since that time many years back, quoted Borowitz from the Borowitz Report. Well, a lot, because he's a very funny guy. He always manages to capture, in a very pithy phrase, uh, the essence of something that uh, is rummaging around the country, something, something that like, I can't remember if this is an exact quote, but I think one of them was, uh, Republicans accuse Liz Cheney of reading the Constitution. I believe we are allowed for the purposes of review, to quote briefly from a work. So in uh, my positive thumbs-up review of Profiles in Ignorance, How America's Politicians Got Dumb and Dumber, I, I want to well outline the book by noting that Borowitz sees the dumbing down of the Republican Party, and it is the Republican Party he refers to, Say more or less when the Democrats get people in horned hats and fur capes to storm the Capitol, he'll, he'll get down to writing about them. But in the meantime, he needs to focus on the Republicans. And in this dumbing down of America, Borowitz sees three stages, noting that when it comes to ignorance, there's a first stage where it's ridiculed. He talks about, in this instance, mainly Ronald Reagan and Daniel Quayle, as examples of people that got away with it and those that didn't. But how back in the day, if you were ignorant, you did try to hide it. He moved then into the second stage of uh, ignorance, which is acceptance. In this, he focuses on George W. Bush and Sarah Palin. And in his third stage of analysis, Andy Borowitz looks at ignorance as something that is to be celebrated. And as you might imagine, the MacGuffin in that tale is Donald J. Trump. And I guess we've only got about four minutes left before the breakers, so we'll just do a, a, a lightning round, look at the book, and cite what Borowitz had to say about Dan Quayle, and then see if we can fit in George W. Bush and Sarah Palin. After George Herbert Walker Bush picked Dan Quayle as his running mate, it became clear to the country rather immediately that Quayle's qualifications to be vice president were, shall we say, modest. To quote from Borowitz, with so few tangible accomplishments to Quayle's credit, Bush took a unique approach to boosting his VP pick. He started praising him for all the things he didn't do. Addressing the veterans of foreign wars, Bush said that Quayle did not go to Canada, he did not burn his draft card, and he damn sure didn't burn the American flag. Notes Borwest, of course, fleeing to Canada and burning his draft card would have been bizarre behavior for someone whose wealthy family got him out of Vietnam via the Indiana National Guard. Still, he said... Bush showed admirable restraint by not bragging about the other things Quayle didn't do, such as assassinating Archduke Franz Ferdinand or exploding the Hindenburg. All right, moving from the first stage to the second, from where you try to hide your ignorance to where you, you know, basically are okay with it, we have George W. Bush. When we had the ramp up to the Iraq war and people were counseling Bush that we need to have a rather nuanced approach, Bush actually told then-Senator Joe Biden, Joe. I don't do nuance. Noted Andy Borowitz, unfortunately, when contemplating a $2 trillion war, nuance comes in handy. At a White House meeting in early 2003, three Iraqi Americans briefed Bush on the complications the U.S. would inevitably encounter if it pressed forward with its war plan. According to Peter Galbraith, a former U.S. ambassador to Croatia who was at the meeting, it gradually dawned on Bush that there would be weird-sounding groups of people in Iraq called... Sunnis and Shiites. Baffled, he explained, I thought the Iraqis were Muslims. I should add a, I should add a dovetail to this. In, an, in a conversation, quoting that to uh, my girlfriend, she said she was pretty sure that 85% of the public would know what Sunnis and Shiites were. Personally, I suspect she was off by possibly a factor of 10. We'll, we'll research this one. And finally, we have Sarah Palin who moved the acceptance of ignorance to center stage, or certainly helped in the process. As you may well remember, Palin resigned her governorship of Alaska to, to go up and seek bigger and better things, which I think she substantially achieved by becoming an author, getting like million-dollar advances, and becoming a um, sometimes sought-after political endorsement, but not always, noted any Borowitz, some 2010 candidates greeted their Palin endorsements with something less than jubilation. Palin gave no warning before a Fox News appearance in which she praised the former wrestling executive, Linda McMahon, who was the GOP's Senate candidate in Connecticut as a fellow Mama Grizzly. We're pretty sure in this, by the way, that Linda McMahon is the, the wife or former wife, I guess, of, of Vince McMahon. He, the president of the WWF, Anyway, Borowitz said McMahon just wasn't that into Palin. She said, Palin's certainly entitled to make any opinion on any race she would like, at least one of her campaign spokesmen said, adding that Linda is running her own race and she'll continue to do that through election day. Noted Andy Borowitz, it was striking that a candidate who had spent her career in the company of men pretending to fight in capes, masks, and tights feared that an association with Palin might undermine her seriousness. And on that, we must take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Stick around. We got we got lots more in the second half.